good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. The economic devastation of COVID-19, like so many other aspects of the pandemic, has been especially concentrated in communities of color. That fact is even clearer now with the release of a new report that suggests nearly half of all Black-owned small businesses across the country have had to close their doors in recent months. The study was released this month by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And here to talk about what it tells us and about the broader implications of this disturbing trend is the New York Fed's Assistant Vice President, Claire Kramer-Mills. Claire, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start with the findings here. Nearly half of all Black-owned small businesses closing their doors during the pandemic. Uh, talk about what we mean when we say Black-owned small businesses. Right. So the typical definition of a small business is, is quite vast. It can range from um, self-employed individuals, non-employers who just are the, you know, the business owner. Um, and it can range up to businesses with just under 500 employees. So it's a broad definition, um, but we know that most um, Black-owned businesses tend to be in the smaller um, camp. They're, most of them are non-employers, 96%. And so we're really talking about mom-and-pop um, operations on the whole. Mm. And uh, we have been talking on this program since the pandemic started about the severe consequences that communities of color have been suffering as a result of the pandemic, both in a public health and an economic, uh, in an economic sense. Uh, talk about why so many Black-owned small businesses are having trouble during during the pandemic and how that compares to other small businesses. We know that, that lots of businesses have had a real slowdown and some of them have had to close, but nearly half of Black-owned small businesses closing seems like an outsized number. Yeah, that's right. When you look at comparative information, um, you know, the there was a, a paper that Rob Fairley from UC Santa Cruz released earlier this summer that we and many others took a look at, and he used the current population survey to, to do an estimate and do some comparisons. And what he found in that um, early analysis was that 41% of, of Black-owned businesses had shuttered. Um, some might come back into operation, but they had closed their doors um, at least temporarily during the pandemic. Um, and that was almost twice as likely uh, as other um, small businesses in general. It was more than twice the amount of white-owned small business closures. Mm. So pretty striking. Um, we know from earlier research that we did coming into the pandemic, we looked at, at data from late 2019, and what we knew from that information was that small businesses in general were quite cash-strapped, and that tends to be uh, you know, typical for small businesses. They don't have a lot of uh, weeks of cash reserves on hand, um, so they depend on continuous cash flow from from their customers. And um, so we knew that only one in five, roughly by our estimates, um, could enter um, you know, a closure of, say, two months or longer in duration without making some dramatic changes. Only one in five could 
sort of live off their their cash reserves um, for any you know extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So we kind of took that information you know into account and said um, you know let's look more deeply into this because we know that there is going to be a shock. Um, what our analysis looked at was first of all that some of the hardest hit areas in America, and so we started looking at information about um, you know the density of COVID cases and. Um, whether that, you know, the extent to which that coincided with um, the highest areas, the densest areas of black business ownership. And what we found was that, um, you know, there was a relationship that, that basically, um, you know, 40 per- first of all, 40 percent of receipts from black owned businesses are concentrated in only 30 counties in the U.S. Mm. That's roughly one percent of, of American counties. Um, and we know that from our analysis that approximately two thirds of, of those areas uh, were areas with some of the earliest, you know, densities of COVID cases. Uh, so, if you're thinking about the spring when we saw, you know, um, you know, cases rise in, across across uh, several counties in the U.S., um, you know, areas with densest Black business ownership were some of the the earliest affected areas. Hmm. Um, when we talk about this mass closing of of small businesses that are owned by African Americans, I think maybe for some people. They think, well, that's in the black community. It doesn't affect the rest of the United States. Uh, talk about the, the linkage between this kind of economic downturn and the economy as a whole. Right. So, you know, I think it's really important to just uh, understand broadly that small businesses are such an important engine um, of employment in, in general in the U.S. So we're talking about 50 percent of private sector workers are employed at small businesses, uh, they're important, you know, job creators. Period. Whether or not they they have employees on payroll. So if you think about, um, you know, in Detroit specifically, um, you know, household median income is roughly by U.S. Census uh, numbers, roughly you know, twenty nine thousand dollars a year. Um, and if you look at, uh, you know, black business ownership in in the Detroit area from census, um, you know, the the typical gross sales receipts are about thirty three thousand. So you know, these are these are viable jobs, uh, you know, and that that has an implication for, uh, you know, the the economy, um, disposable income. Uh, so if you think about, you know, the business owner, um, you know, being able to sustain a livelihood for his or her own family, um, having disposable income, being, uh, you know, a participant in the local economy, uh, you know, obviously that has, uh, you know, broader implications for for well-being and, and the vitality of, of the greater area. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Claire Kramer Mills, who is Assistant Vice President and Director of Community Development Analysis, Outreach and Education for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. We are talking about a study that the Fed in New York conducted that finds that nearly half of black owned small businesses have had to close their doors during the COVID-19 pandemic. If you would like to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you are seeing in your community when it comes to businesses closing. What does it mean for you and your neighbors when these small businesses close their doors? We especially want to hear from small business owners, especially small business owners of color. Give us a call and tell us how this pandemic has affected your business. Have you had to shut down? If you haven't had to shut down, tell us what you've been able to do to make sure that uh, you can keep your doors open. What kinds of things have you had to employ that perhaps 
you hadn't thought you, you might have to do just to keep your business afloat. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. We'd also love to hear from folks who are working with small businesses here in Southeast Michigan, uh, trying to help them get through the pandemic and find ways to keep their doors open even as business turns down and maybe continues to be uncertain into the future. Uh, What are you telling small businesses about what they need to do? What are the kinds of things you're seeing that they need uh, really desperately right now? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Claire, we have heard a lot about how black and other minority-owned businesses really struggled to take advantage of or to even be counted in the massive federal assistance that was uh, available for businesses, PPP loans, for instance. Uh, Here in Michigan, the Detroit Free Press reported that of the 800 Michigan restaurants, for instance, that got PPP loans this summer, there was only one that was a black-owned restaurant. Talk about how the federal response factors into the problem of black businesses not being able to survive uh, the pandemic. Right, as you, I think, as you quite, quite correctly pointed out, you know, uh, Paycheck Protection Program (PPP), as it's commonly referred to, uh, was a massive, massive program, um, and you know, uh, dispersed more than five hundred billion dollars uh, in the form of loans, and you know, with the, the prospect of, of converting to, to grants for small businesses. Now, interestingly, that program was available both to non-employers and employer firms. Um, but there was sort of a, a running start for employer businesses. And, uh, you know, that for black-owned businesses, you know, we talked earlier in the program about 96% of black-owned firms uh, being non-employers. So they had to wait a, a week um, after employer firms to be to, to kind of get in queue. Um, one of the, the other things that I, I think a, a lot of research has, has brought to bear and, and a lot of analysts have flagged is that, uh, you know, the paperwork, uh, you know, necessary for PPP qualification, uh, you know, was harder for businesses that might not have had the systems in place, the sophistication, the accountants, et cetera, to get all of the uh, the papers in order. But I think importantly, what our analysis flagged is that uh, there were real disparities in uh, pre-existing banking relationships. So if you think about um, you know, the channels through which PPP was administered, uh, you know, these were SBA authorized uh, lenders, Small Business Administration authorized lenders. And in the early rounds, those tended primarily to be large and, and community banks. Um, you know, certainly there were some community oriented um, institutions that, that previously had been SBA authorized, but for the most part, we're talking about banks. And what we know from our research is that uh, there are real big differences between the likelihood of black and white-owned firms having a banking relationship. So mm. fewer than one in four black-owned employer firms um, and only one in 10 black-owned non-employer firms had had a recent borrowing relationship with a bank yeah. uh, for their business before the, before the crisis. And that put them in, again, um, you know, they were a bit hamstrung um, going into, into the application process. Well, and that points to the longstanding nature of this problem, even if it is sort of inflected 
by the COVID-19 pandemic, this access to capital question that black businesses face is is the, the oldest story in, in business. I mean, this idea that, again, as you point out, a relationship with a bank, it is really difficult for a lot of black businesses to, to get that going. And that might have made a difference when something like this happened. Indeed. And, and arguably, you know, it's even more important, one could argue, for Black-owned businesses because uh, they're starting from um, you know, an asset disparity. So if you think about, you know, launching a business, you've got a great idea, you've, you've got a, a new service um, that, that you think is going to really meet your community needs. Um, you know, typically small businesses bootstrap, you know, they dip into their own pockets, their friend and family circle. Um, what we know um, you know, from longstanding research is that white families have roughly 10 uh, times the net worth of, of black families. And so, you know, that, that ability to draw uh, from informal networks is, is also potentially hampered. And so, uh, you know, credit relationships with financial institutions are, are all the more um, important. And yet, um, as, you, as you point out, you know, quite disparate. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what's happening in your community with small businesses right now. If you are a small business owner, give us a call. Tell us how it's been since March when the COVID-19 really changed the way that all of us are living and buying and shopping and therefore changed the way that all businesses have to operate, especially if you are a person of color who owns a business, give us a call and tell us how it has been. Have you had to close your doors because of the pandemic or have you found a way to keep going? Uh, you can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there. We'll try to work them into the conversation. Let's start with Renee on the east side. Renee, welcome Hi. to the show. Good morning. Hi. I have a food truck mm -hmm. and I ended up, I had to shut it down because I couldn't keep workers. And my issue was I was sanitizing the money, cleaning the money, and giving it back to the customers. There was complaints about that. Um, the workers started complaining about they was feeling like they was ill, and I couldn't find anybody to work. Mm. And I ended up having to shut down. Like, my truck is just sitting in front of my house. Wow. Renee, so give me an idea of what your plans are the future do you think you'll be able to bring that business back or will you have to figure out something else i believe i can bring it back um i have faith i can bring it back next year mm. this year it's just a total loss mm. i i'm usually out and about by march and we're usually make making good money and this year it's just a total loss i like you you was talking about earlier tapping into the reserve i am tapping it into the reserve and it's a struggle yeah yeah well renee we absolutely hope that uh that things turn around and that you're able to bring your business back uh claire we didn't really talk about employees and the ability to keep employees through the pandemic and the effect that that has had on small businesses of all kinds but i would imagine again even a bigger effect on small businesses of color yeah, you know, I think, you know, obviously, as the name indicates, Paycheck Protection Program, you know, was intended certainly, um, you know, one of the chief purposes was to keep uh, employees on payroll. I think, though, for, for a lot of small smaller firms, um, you know, particularly those that are, you know, qualify as non-employer, they might have 1099 workers 
um, you know, that, that they contract with, um, you know, the tendency was in many cases to to file for unemployment. Mm. Um, now, you know, obviously the, the timeline of the crisis has elongated. When pay- Paycheck Protection Program was enacted, um, you know, we were operating on a June 30th deadline, right? Um, that has been extended. It was extended to early August. Um, you know, now obviously there's, there are considerations at the federal level about, you know, continued aid, but, you know, we're, we're entering a new crisis as we, you know, approach the fall. And I think, you know, certainly from an employee perspective, many of those who've been engaged in service, uh, you know, types of jobs, really tough. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, The other thing that I would say about employees is uh, we've had several moratoria in place, right? If you think about um, the biggest expenses that any of us have, um, you know, housing is certainly one, food is another. Hmm. And so, um, you know, we're approaching, uh, you know, a situation where you you think about, you know, um, rent moratoria, um, you know, ending in, in, in some places, um, and considerations about how are you going to pay the bills going forward. So there's a lot of uncertainty, I think, for the employees of small businesses, for sure. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about small businesses and small businesses of color, the struggles that they have had during the pandemic. Uh, stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Robert and Bloomfield will get to you next. We will also hear some of the Twitter comments that we've gotten during this conversation. And if you want to join, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what your experience has been with small businesses during the pandemic. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDT, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining in. My guest is Claire Kramer-Mills. She is Assistant Vice President and Director of Community Development Analysis, Outreach, and Education at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. We are talking about a study by the Fed in New York that finds that nearly half of black-owned businesses, black-owned small businesses, have had to close their doors During the pandemic, Uh, we're talking about why that's true, what implications that has for the wider economy. And we are also going to talk about what some of the things are we need to do to change that to make it a little easier for black businesses to succeed. We also want to hear from you during this conversation. Give us a call and tell us what the situation is with small businesses in your community. If you are a small business owner, we especially want to hear from you Uh, about what your experience has been since March when everything kind of turned upside down and everyone's business plans uh, for the year as well as for the future uh, really got cast into a new period of doubt. Uh, Were you able to struggle through? Were you able to access the PPP loans that were available, for instance, to small businesses as a way to get through to the other side of the pandemic, or were you one of the businesses that uh, that couldn't make it, that had to close its doors? We would really love to hear from you about uh, what you're doing and how you're managing. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter 
put comments there, and we'll try to get to them on the program. Uh, Claire, there's a Twitter comment uh, from Michelin on um, that says, uh, I was intrigued by the mom and pop reference and looked it up. The SBA says there are 30.7 uh, million small businesses under 500 employees. Of those, 1.2 million are owned by married couples, so literally mom and pop. Uh, but, but expand on the idea of this idea of how these businesses are configured, this idea of mom and pop shops, uh, uh, businesses that are family-owned, businesses that are in small communities and are a big part of those communities. What do we mean when we, when we talk about that? Sure. So, you know, I think um, as, as the, uh, the commentator noted, um, you know, family mem- members and family operations are, are quite common. Um, you know, we know that, that the bulk of small businesses, as, as we note at the top of, of, the, uh, of the call, um, you know, they're, they're really small operations. So, you know, the majority of small businesses, uh, you know, have under uh, 10 employees. Many of them are sole shops, and, and many of them are, you know, family operations, whether, uh, you know, officially um, having uh, literally the mom and pop uh, on payroll and, and unofficially, um, you know, through the support that the family and networks provide um, in the launch and, and you know, uh, sustainability of the operation. So, um, you know, they're, they are, they're, they're the fabric of, of local communities, and I think, you know, it's not too too much of a stretch to say that you know our our small business uh, you know operators where we live um, are really you know contributors, key contributors to the fabric of of what we understand as community. So really important, and I think um, as you pointed out, um, you know, as the timeline of this uh, of this pandemic has elongated, uh, you know, business owners I think have had to to really pivot um, and, you know, exert more flexibility than, than probably, you know, what, what they're, they're usually uh, used to. And that's pretty uh, considerable flexibility. You've mm-hmm. got to be um, pretty, I think, creative um, and adaptive to be a successful small business owner. Yeah. Uh, I, I should go back to, actually, it's Micheline who was making these comments on Twitter. Uh, she continued that about 20% of small businesses or around 6 million are run by families but only about a third of them are continued by a second generation once the founders retire or die. And then she says that about 9 million small businesses in the U.S. are owned by women, and that's been one of the fastest-growing segments uh, of small businesses. I would imagine that it's also true for small businesses of color. We did hear uh, just recently hear from Renee, uh, a food truck owner on the east side of uh, Detroit, who's probably uh, an indication of, of that trend. Yeah, following the financial crisis, um, women of color, particularly um, you know, black women, have been the fastest uh, growing segment of small business owners. So absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, Micheline, thank you very much for the comments on Twitter. Let's go to Robert in Bloomfield. Robert, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Um, partner in a small business that has been fortunate to keep going uh, uh, in the pandemic without missing too many beats. Um, but we know of companies uh, that qualify as small business uh, who have received seven-figure uh, PPP loans and in some cases use them to keep uh, employing people. In some cases, they probably didn't really need the money. Uh, recognizing that what Congress did, they had to do quickly, and so there was going to be some inefficiencies. But 
now I would ask what what is um, what does our, our guest recommend that state or federal governments can do mm. to most efficiently help uh, the, the the very small business that might not have any employees? Mm. Uh, great question, Robert. I appreciate the call, Claire Mills. What uh, what do we do about that? Yeah, you know, um, I, I can say that there are a number of, of interesting um, proposals that that have been floated. Um, I'll talk from the, the base of our, our research. Um, a couple of things that we know, you know, specifically with respect to to firms owned and operated by persons of color. Um, we know that, for instance, we spoke earlier about, um, you know, longstanding challenges in, in banking relationships. Um, one thing that we do know, however, is that um, both community development financial institutions, um, those that, you know, are, are target their funds toward underserved communities, underserved, historically underserved populations, um, have been a really important channel um, to actually to reach um, African-American business, businesses, Latinx businesses, um, and in those located in low-income neighborhoods. And so, uh, you know, those, those lenders were approved and, uh, you know, in the second waiting days of the first round and then, in, you know, fortified in the second round of PPP uh, were an important channel. Equally, and I, I would, you know, stress that we know that Black-owned businesses, for example, um, bank at, with fintech providers, financial technology companies um, at higher rates um, now, marginally higher rates than they do with banks. Mm. And so um, those lenders were also authorized in the waning days of, of the first wave of PPP and then, uh, you know, uh, had a running start in the second round when there was the second authorization of funds. And, you know, they moved $4.7 billion of funds through June 30th, which is when our, our analysis, uh, you know, cutoff was. So, you know, I think it's important to just note that those, if you think about kind of fortifying pipes to, to communities and to, to underserved businesses, um, I think it's important to, to flag them as being important. Now, when PPP, uh, you know, ended in early August, you know, there was roughly $100 billion, uh, you know, left. And, and I think there are questions now about sort of what happens with that funding. Um, and really how much is going to be needed to, you know, carry uh, the small business sector, you know, forward um, facing the uncertainty that, that we all have going uh, into the end of the year. So, you know, I think um, certainly, as many have, have noted, uh, the needs are ongoing. And, and that I would just, I would stress, uh, you know, I don't, this is not a, a one and done situation. Yeah. And looking sort of forward and casting forward, is it possible or how possible, I guess, is it when businesses have to close their doors for something like this, that they can bounce back, that they can actually find a way to reopen? As we heard from Renee over on the east side, she's hopeful that her food truck will be able to roll again. Um, is that is is that one of the solutions, perhaps, to this problem is to look at ways to restart businesses once things are a little more normal? Yeah, you know, I think that there have been a lot of, um, of folks who, you know, you, you referenced, um, you know, service providers, and I think there have been a lot of, you know, kind of virtual curricula that have, and, and virtual aids that have popped up um, in the context of COVID to help 
for example, um, businesses, if they can pivot to an online business model, you know, how to do that. If you're a restaurant, um, you're really standing up, um, you know, a remote, uh, you know, a remote delivery and remote ordering and delivery website, for example, a pickup website. Um, you know, I think that there are are modifications that are going to be need to be made to, to business models. And you're seeing that happening with a lot of providers, with small business providers now. Um, I think the other, the other kind of unknown, it's an evolving unknown, is what consumer preferences are going to be like. Um, you know, uh, Renee mentioned, I think, quite appropriately, um, you know, her, her customers, um, you know, having uncertainty perhaps about handling money. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks have, have moved to, um, you know, swipe all, only, you know, cashless op- types of operations now. Um, you know, are people going to want to be out and about? Are they going to be leery of crowds? How long is that going to last? And um, I think one thing that's really important to, to flag is when you think about small businesses, particularly businesses owned and operated by persons of color, um, we're not talking about, you know, a random industry mix. You know, these businesses tend to be, you know, more concentrated in uh, in retail and services and so in hospitality. And so, you know, these are some of the hardest affected sectors. Uh, so there is a, there's a place component to the crisis. There's also a sector component to the crisis. Hmm. And so um, I think, you know, your, your last caller pointed out that PPP was stood up quickly. Absolutely it was. Uh, there were modifications made to the program, as we've noted. Um, but it was also um, kind of a one-size-fits-all type of program. And, uh, you know, I think what we're learning is that, uh, you know, there have been differential impacts by uh, place, depending on the COVID case count, um, as well as, uh, you know, the sectors uh, affected. Okay. Claire Kramer-Mills, Assistant Vice President of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with economist Charles Ballard about a new Michigan State University study that shows surprising gains and losses in racial wage gaps by region. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.